Welcome to International Marxist Radio, the official podcast of the International Marxist Tendency, Marxist.com. Join us every single week for Marxist news, theory, and analysis. Hello and welcome to International Marxist Radio. This week we're talking about the Spanish Revolution, the Spanish Civil War. So a tragic but also very heroic and inspiring period in world history. The Spanish workers and peasants and the international brigades who assisted them gave everything to the fight against Franco, the fight against the Falange, the fight against fascism. But ultimately they were defeated and Franco rose to power and remained in power for decades. But why was this? Our speaker today, Arturo Rodriguez, who is a member of the IMT based in Portugal, but originally from Spain, is writing an article talking about the role of the anarchists and the Stalinists with various degrees of intentionality sabotaging the Spanish Revolution, the theoretical mistakes that led to undermining the revolution and also the conscious reactionary counter-revolutionary policy of the Stalinists. So Arturo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Joe. I'm very happy uh, to be here. Uh, it's, I, I love the, the International Marxist Radio and I think, by the way, that the opening uh, music is very fitting for the discussion we're going to have today. It's uh, from Las Barricadas, right? Um, which one of, was one of the main anthems of the Spanish Revolution. It was adapted in that way, but it was originally, I believe, a Polish revolutionary that's song. Barça Bianca. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but that's it does have a connection to the topic that we're discussing. So well done for pointing that out. And thanks so much for your kind words. We're really happy to have you on. So this article you're writing... Um, about the reasons for the defeat of the Spanish workers and peasants in the Civil War. But can we start from the beginning and set the scene a little bit for people who are perhaps not as familiar with the history? Perhaps we should start with the elections of 14th of April 1931, um, which I think it wouldn't be unfair to call that the beginning of the Spanish Revolution. So what happened? Yes, thank you, Joe. That's a, that's a great question, uh, and we should indeed set the scene for, for our discussion. So Spain in the early 20th century was a, a relatively backward uh, country. Um, so it was it was uh, lagging behind the other European neighbors in terms of industrialization and, and economic development, but it had developed some pockets of industry at the turn of the century, and it witnessed some fairly intense episodes of uh, class struggle uh, in the first years of the of the decade. And that had actually led to the establishment of a military dictatorship for most of the 1920s. That dictatorship, however, led by General Primo de Rivera, was not, uh, was not a fascist uh, dictatorship as such. It was a classical Bonapartist regime and one that was actually quite uh, divided internally. What do we mean as Marxists by a Bonapartist regime? Different from uh, from fascism in the sense that it did not rely on the on the reactionary petty bourgeoisie. It did not seek to crush organized uh, labor completely. It was a dictatorship based on the armed forces essentially, mm. uh, and it did not establish a totalitarian uh, regime. 
right? It just repressed the most active sectors of the working class vanguard. Mm -hmm. But it was quite divided internally, and it met quite a lot of popular resistance by the end of the 1920s. And it was in that context that Primo de Rivera resigned in 1930, and a year later, in the spring of 1931, the regime, the successors of Primo de Rivera, they tried to open up uh, the system somewhat, and they held local elections on the 12th of April of 1931. And uh, the dictatorship was taken aback by the outcome of those elections because they revealed a mood of great, of tremendous uh, discontent that was reflected in the sweeping victory of the Republican parties. Mm -hmm. The following uh, days, the masses came out to the streets and the king eventually resigned. He, he fled to Portugal. And on the 14th of April, in a context of, uh, of intense uh, agitation, the Second Spanish Republic was uh, proclaimed. Now, this uh, republic, it initially enjoyed uh, widespread enthusiasm amongst uh, the masses, among the working class, the peasants, the middle classes that were moving towards uh, the left. They thought that it would, uh, that it would solve their most uh, pressing problems. But at the same time, the Second Republic also had the backing of, uh, the, of key sectors of the Spanish ruling class that had understood that the monarchy was completely compromised, it had become a liability, and that trying just to uh, keep the monarchy in place would drive the masses in a dangerous revolutionary direction. So uh, this republic had quite a contradictory uh, social basis. And in reality, it could not solve even the most uh, basic problems that Spanish society was facing at that time. And we have to highlight that this was, as I said, a relatively backward country where the most uh, pressing issues facing Spanish society did not have a specifically socialist uh, content. They would uh, belong to what Marxists uh, label as democratic demands or, or, or the bourgeois democratic tasks of the revolution. What am I thinking about here? I'm thinking about things like uh, the separation between church and state. And of course, the Catholic Church was an incredibly powerful institution in, in early 20th century Spain. Uh, we're talking about cleansing the state bureaucracy and the army, especially from reactionary and monarchist uh, elements, especially the officer corps, which was a very corrupt and top-heavy um, institution. But the, in reality, the, the two most important democratic tasks in Spain in 1931 were really uh, the, the destruction of landlordism. And you have to remember that, especially in the south of Spain, in Andalusia and Extremadura, you have, you have enormous landed estates uh, and, uh, and an extremely impoverished and exploited landless peasantry. So one of the key tasks of the revolution was to uh, redistribute the land and expropriate the landlords. And secondly, another crucial task of the Spanish Revolution was uh, uh, providing freedom and autonomy and going up to self-determination for the oppressed nationalities uh, living within Spain, namely the, the Catalans, the Basques, and to a lesser extent, the, the Galicians. Now, these democratic tasks in other historical epochs in France in 1789, if you like, they had been solved fundamentally by the revolutionary bourgeoisie when, when, the, when the bourgeoisie was still a revolutionary class. 
However, Spain in 1931 was not France in 1789. Capitalism had evolved. And what we have in Spain, as in other backward countries at that time, was not a clear distinction between the bourgeoisie and the feudal classes. But what you have is a, is a, is a unified ruling class where uh, both the more backward and feudal sectors of the economy are bound up with the more advanced industrial sectors, right? Namely through, through financial capital. And you have a ruling class as well that even, uh, even if it was to, to uh, seek reform and seek democratic transformations and whatnot, it was always more afraid of the, of the working class movement than of the old uh, reactionary uh, monarchists or the or the Catholics, right? So we have a, in, in fact, the Spanish uh, bourgeoisie in 1931 was a reactionary class that could not carry out these tasks. It was, it was the responsibility of the working class movement to carry out these democratic reforms, but inevitably it would have to strike against private property in this process, and it would advance uh, towards socialism in the process. And socialism would, could be consolidated in a backward country like Spain if it spread to more advanced uh, countries, starting, of course, with uh, France, which also saw a lot of social agitation in the 1930s. This is what Trotsky labeled as the permanent uh, revolution, and it's something that had already played out in Russia in 1917, mm -hmm. a revolution that began by tackling essentially democratic reforms, but very quickly moved uh, in a socialist uh, direction. We talk about the fact that the Spanish bourgeois were too weak and parasitic to carry out any of the tasks that history demanded of the bourgeoisie, and therefore those tasks fell to the working class. What was the state of the working class and socialist movement in Spain? What were some of the big formations, the big groups... What were the main ideas that animated the working class at this time? Yes, the Spanish working class had actually a very proud um, revolutionary tradition. However, the tragedy of the Spanish Revolution, and we'll talk more about this um, in the coming minutes, was that uh, no, no revolutionary organization, no major revolutionary force was up uh, to, the, to the tasks of the, of the moment. So the the workers had a very militant predisposition, but their leaders were at a complete uh, loss in the maelstrom of revolutionary events. The Spanish labor movement was divided into two major mass organizations. First of all, we have the, the Socialist Party, the Spanish Socialist Workers Party, the PSOE, which also had a, a, a very significant uh, trade union platform, which was the, the General Union of Workers, the UGT, and, uh, and a very big youth front as well, the, the Socialist Youth. This was a reformist organization in, a, in the tradition of the Second International Social Democratic Party. But insofar as it was a mass movement and, and uh, in a context of of, uh, of uh, mass radicalization in the 1930s, we will see that a, a faction, a very significant tendency within the socialist movement veered towards the far uh, left, particularly around the figure of Largo Caballero. But we also have another mass force in the Spanish labor movement, 
which were the anarchists. And this is quite unique at that time. There was no other country in the world, really, with such a powerful anarchist movement as uh, Spain in the 1930s. Uh, the anarchists were organized fundamentally in, uh, in a trade union organization called the National Confederation of Labor, the CNT. Although they also had a more, uh, they had a smaller vanguard movement known as the, as the Iberian Federation of Anarchists, the FI. Um, and then we have uh, some smaller uh, communist vanguard organizations, the Communist Party of Spain, which was dominated by the Stalinists and was closely connected to Moscow, to, to the Soviet Union, led by Stalin in 1931. And we have the, the dissident communists of the Spanish uh, communist left, which was aligned with uh, Leon Trotsky and with the international left opposition. They were, le they were led by Andreu Nin, who had collaborated with Trotsky in the 1920s. He had actually lived in, uh, in Moscow. And they were actually, they were, they were a small organization, but they were the only ones really uh, that understood the dynamics of the Spanish Revolution, which, as I said, started off by tackling uh, bourgeois democratic tasks, but inevitably it would move in a, in a socialist uh, direction. Mm -hmm. And finally, we have a, quite an eclectic group known as the Worker Peasant Bloc. But those were the main organizations in the Spanish labor movement. And we don't have time, unfortunately, to deal with every aspect um, of either the organizations of the working class or the events of the Spanish Civil War. It will probably take a few episodes to cover this period in detail. And for the sake of today's episode, we're going to focus on two groups in particular, the anarchists and the Stalinists, because you make the point in your article that as far as the left is concerned, obviously Franco and the Falange were the sharp edge of reaction and counter-revolution, but as far as the left is concerned, the anarchists and the Stalinists played the worst role in terms of diverting and ultimately sabotaging the Spanish Revolution. So can we start with the anarchists? I mean, this is a political tendency which basically disavows the notion of governments and um, rejects the notion of a worker state because that's just as oppressive as capitalist states. It's a fairly eclectic tendency. Um, but the, the anarchists were a mass force in Spain in the 1930s. So what was, first of all, the, the scale and influence of the anarchist groups and what were their... What was their attitude towards the new Republican government in 1931? Very good question, Joe. Well, yes, the anarchists were a decisive force in Spain at that time and all the way until the, 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 the tragic end of the, of the revolution and the civil war. Uh, they were very powerful, but they did not control the entire labor, labor movement, as, as, we've, uh, as I've said. Um, they were particularly strong in uh, two regions, in Catalonia, which was the industrial powerhouse of uh, Spain, and in the south, in Andalusia, which was an agrarian uh, region dominated by, by landlordism. The anarchists welcomed, actually, the coming of the Spanish uh, Republic in quite uh, enthusiastic terms. The truth is that they did not understand anything about what was happening in Spain. At the time, they welcomed the new republic, and I'm quoting them here, as a new era 
as a great uh, revolution. Uh, and uh, they actually gave the tacit indication in 1931 for the followers to vote for the petty bourgeois Republican parties. And that, to some extent, is one of the factors that explains the, the victory of the first uh, Republican government, which was a coalition between the Social Democrats and the petty bourgeois Republicans. Of course, the anarchists added the caveat that they they were not uh, they had not become Republicans. They were still against the state, but the truth is that they did not really understand the the class nature of the of the Spanish uh, uh, Republic. Uh, as I said in the beginning, this Republic would not be able to solve any of the basic tasks of the Spanish Revolution, and that was revealed actually very fast. Uh, and the anarchists actually were forced by events to revise their initial uh, enthusiastic position for the for the republic in the summer of 1931 there was a a wave of uh, agitation of strikes of social conflict and the republic cracked down very heavily on the anarchists and on the their supporters so what we see is that by the end of 1931 the anarchist movement swung in the opposite direction so initially when the republic was proclaimed they became uh, euphoric supporters of the new regime. And then a few months later, they realized that none of their expectations were being uh, met. So they swung in a, in a sectarian and ultra-left uh, direction, in fact. They led a, a series of uh, isolated insurrections, starting with the mining areas in Catalonia, later on in, in Andalusia. All of these insurrections were repressed. They were, they were uh, crushed by the state. Couldn't have been otherwise because these were isolated uh, uprisings with no uh, careful planning behind them. Um, so the anarchists were were repressed by the by the republican authorities, and um, this led to a crisis within the anarchist movement. A sector of the CNT, of the National Confederation of Labour, split away from the from the movement. But most of the of the anarchists actually. Uh, adopted a fairly ultra-left and sectarian attitude at this at this point. Of course, we have to note that this uh, new position that the anarchists adopted reflected a more general mood of discontent and of frustration against the, the republic. Many many workers felt rightly uh, betrayed and frustrated with the with the republican uh, regime. But the anarchists gave this mood an extremist and adventurist. Uh, expression. And the anarchists were also left out of a very interesting process that took place in the mid-1930s in Spain, which was a tendency towards the unity of the working class against the reaction. This uh, center-left government that was formed in 1931 uh, lost the elections in November 1933. The right wing came back to power, and uh, this partial defeat actually galvanized the forces of the left. There was a tendency towards the unity of the working class and uh, a turn towards the left as well that even involved sectors of the Socialist Party, as I, as I mentioned. This, of course, and comrades might uh, know this, culminated in the uprising of October 1934, uh, which was crushed across Spain with the exception of uh, Asturias. Now, the interesting thing for our discussion here is that the anarchists were basically left out of this united front against uh, fascism and against uh, the bourgeois uh, offensive. Um, and in fact, 
their sabotage of the uprising of 1934 largely accounts uh, for its failure. And the success of that insurrection in Asturias actually has to do with the fact that here, in this industrial mining region of the north of Spain, the anarchists actually did uh, support this united front. They, they were involved in the preparations for the, for the uprising, and this is why it triumphed uh, in, in that region. But in the rest of Spain, they adopted an extremely sectarian position, and they actually acted as strike breakers during the general strike and the insurrection of October 1934, which sought to stop the rise of fascism in Spain. What was their justification for acting as strike breakers during these insurrections? It was quite uh, simple. They said, we are against all political parties. All political parties are the same, and we are indifferent to the nature of the, of the state, because all states are exactly the same. This is the way they literally put it. Of course, the, there was a lot of bad blood between the anarchists and the socialists, which had been in power in 1931, 32, 33. Um, but, uh, of course, the, the, the question here was quite a practical one. It was, a, it was not uh, The question was not to become fused with the socialists, but to establish a united front uh, to carry out a practical task, which was a general strike to stop uh, the rise of the of the far right and their, their entry into, into government. At the same time, also, the anarchists ignored that the socialist movement was not monolithic. And as I said, uh, the, the majority, in fact, of the Socialist Party was veering far towards the far uh, left and adopting revolutionary positions at this point. So theirs was a very simplistic uh, and destructive sectarianism. And of course, uh, they were proven wrong by events. Not all governments are the same, uh, because in fact, after the failure of the strike and the insurrection of October 1934, the anarchist movement, as well as the whole of the Spanish uh, labor movement, was brutally repressed by the right-wing Republican authorities. And it is partially as a consequence of that terrible defeat uh, and uh, reflecting on the, on the destructive results of their sectarianism that the anarchists once again uh, U-turned and, and went to the opposite extreme once again. So they began, they started off in 1931 being pro-Republican and being enthusiastic about the new regime. Mm. Then they veered towards uh, sectarianism and towards an ultra-left adventurist position. And then after the events of 1934, particularly in 1935-36, they, they completely revised their position and they once again uh, came close to the petty bourgeois Republicans and they called for a vote for the Popular Front in the elections of 1936. The Popular Front was a, a very broad coalition of uh, not only left-wing parties, but also liberal and petty bourgeois Republican parties with a very moderate Republican uh, program. So we can say that the anarchists, they swung uh, from one extreme to the other uh, and that's um, the position they had when the Spanish Civil War broke out in the summer of 1936. Sorry, it was a position of uh, moderation and of uh, tacit support for the for the left Republican authorities. And just I want to make a very brief uh, uh, observation. Sure, go to ahead. Say that this really is impressionism, and what is the theoretical basis for impressionism? I.e., to to respond chaotically and uh, 
to, to provide an eject response, response to, to events. Well, the basis for impressionism is uh, the lack of uh, perspectives. And the lack of, of perspectives is explained by the failure of anarchism as a revolutionary theory. It does not allow us to understand the class struggle uh, and to, and to uh, develop adequate perspectives for the movement. This is why they swung from one extreme to, to the other, because they could not understand what was going on. And this reflects the bankruptcy of, the, of their theory. It's one of those times where you could only um, paraphrase that old expression, it's worse than a crime, it's a mistake. I mean, what a disastrous and ultimately criminal position to take. So aside from the anarchists we've discussed at some length now, what about the Communist Party in Spain? This is starting in 1931, you've long since had the Russian Revolution and its degeneration, the Stalinists are reasonably firmly in the saddle, although the major repression is coming a little later. Trotsky's in exile, doing his best to build the international left opposition. What was the attitude of the Comintern, the Communist International, so the international body um, that was by this point under the control of the Stalinists, towards the situation in Spain? And what did the Stalinists do on the ground? Yes, the, um, the Stalinists uh, in 1931 were actually quite a small force. They only had a few hundred members, although that would change towards um, towards the end of the of the decade, uh, towards the second half of the of the decade rather. Um, their position initially was part of the broader um, outlook of the Communist International. In 1931, the Communist International was going through its um, so-called third period. This was a, a phase of uh, ultra-leftism for the international communist movement led by the Stalinists. Um, so very quickly, in 1927, they had, ado they had uh, adopted uh, the opposite position, in fact, which was one of collaboration and, um, and subordination, in fact towards uh, reformist and petty bourgeois forces, which came crashing down in China in 1927. In China, they had established a bloc with the Chinese bourgeois nationalists. They were repressed in April 1927. And after that, the Communist International veered towards the opposite extreme. So once again, we have features of uh, Impressionism here. Uh, and uh, in those years, the Communist International actually considered Social democracy, its greatest enemy, they labeled the socialists as, uh, as quote-unquote, social fascists. And uh, they adopted extremely sectarian uh, positions. And this had its most uh, harmful outcome in Germany, of course, where the workers' movement was very powerful in the late 20s and the early 30s, but it was divided between its socialist and its communist uh, wings. And uh, the, the failure of both sectors of the German workers' movement to collaborate actually prepared the way for the rise of Hitler to, to power. And in Spain, the attitude of the Stalinists was nowhere different. They denounced the Second Republic uh, as, a, the, as, a, as a bourgeois republic. They were right uh, to point that out. But their, their, their public slogans when the republic was proclaimed was, down with the bourgeois republic, all power to the Soviets. This, this position was doubly wrong 
because firstly, the Republic still enjoyed the mass support of most of the working class and the, and the peasantry. And secondly, of course, because there were no Soviets in, in Spain at that point, nor could there be, there be at that uh, stage. But they were very sectarian. They denounced the socialists. They called the anarchists the anarcho-fascists. Uh, but at the same time, they were pretty impotent because they were a very small uh, organization with very poor leadership, in fact. Um, and their sectarianism only came to an end in the summer of 1934, when, uh, as a consequence of the of the victory of uh, Hitler in in Germany, the Comintern revised its entire strategy, and once again they veered to the opposite extreme, a bit like the anarchists. So again, the they react in an impressionist uh, manner. Uh, and the Comintern, of course, adopted the popular front uh, theory, which uh, predicated close collaboration and alliances with, uh, with uh, not only other working class forces, but with uh, liberals, with Democrats, with all uh, anti-fascists, quote unquote. Um, and this is why they did participate in the insurrection of October 1934. Uh, and after that, they were able to grow, to grow because they capitalized on the on the mood of unity that existed in the in the working class movement. Um, they uh, they formed a new party in Catalonia by joining all the uh, Catalan left wing forces. They intervened in the socialist uh, trade unions, and most importantly, they were able to capture the socialist uh, youth that was moving far towards uh, the left. And here we have to say, sadly, that the, the Spanish Trotskyists made a very serious mistake at that point, because the socialist youth, in fact, invited the Spanish Trotskyists, led by Andreu Nin, to join them in the socialist youth and to help them, quote-unquote, Bolshevize the socialist uh, youth. But the Spanish Trotskyists, um, they uh, they decided not to on a sectarian basis with on the basis of very sectarian arguments uh, and instead of that they joined all the left wing small left wing groups and they formed uh, the workers party of marxist unification the the poem uh, trotsky of course was furious uh, about this and he criticized the spanish the ex trotskyists of spain very very harshly because of this but on this basis actually the Stalinists were able to grow in 1935, the early months of 1936. So on the eve of the Spanish Civil War, which started in July 1936, we can say that the, Sp the Spanish Stalinists were quite a significant force already. They were still in the minority. They were still overshadowed by the anarchists and the socialists, but they had grown and they stood on a very moderate uh, position of supporting the Popular Front uh, reformists and of uh, abandoning uh, revolutionary slogans in the name of uh, of uh, anti-fascist unity, as they as they refer to it. Mm. So, what was the reason for this moderate program? What was the reason for the adaption to the bourgeois republican governments by the Stalinists at this time? Well, one can say that, in part, it was a knee-jerk response to the events in Germany in 1933. Uh, although, of course, uh, this this was a the, the, they swung from one extreme to to the other, right? Um, so they 
they got, the, they, they, got the, they got they got their fingers burned in Germany yes, and, they, they, and, they, and, they, and they overcorrected basically. Exactly, they as we say they they bent the stick too far in the other direction. But there is a much more sinister uh, reason for this that we would become especially uh, apparent after the outbreak of the civil war, which is the following. Now the Communist International was subordinated to uh, the Stalinist Soviet Union, to the Stalinist bureaucracy in the Kremlin. And uh, Stalin regarded the international communist movement not as the party of the world revolution, but simply as a tool for its uh, for its foreign policy. And what was the foreign policy of the Stalinists in the mid-1930s? Well, it was basically trying to form an alliance with the so-called Western democracies, the French and the British uh, capitalists, to stop uh, Hitler to stop uh, Nazi Germany, right? The problem, of course, was that uh, Britain and France were bourgeois states, were imperialist uh, states. And in the mid-1930s, which was a phase of polarization and radicalization, the British and French capitalists were especially concerned about the the threat of of revolution, which became quite a a tangible threat in Spain in the Mm. summer of 1936. So Stalin felt that in order to seduce the British and French imperialists, he had to throttle the Spanish Revolution. So the Spanish Revolution, in a way, became a sacrificial lamb for the the Stalinists. And the communists in Spain and across the world were instructed to adopt very moderate positions so as not to antagonize uh, the potential allies of, uh, of the Stalinist Soviet Union, the bourgeois imperialist allies that Stalin was uh, courting at the time. Of course, I say the potential allies because this alliance, in fact, never materialized. Uh, the British and the French uh, imperialists were happier to uh, establish a pact with Hitler, the Munich Agreement of October 1938, rather than to uh, than to establish an alliance with uh, with the Stalinists. Uh, so, but this was the main reason that explains the not only the the reformist or moderate or treacherous position of the Stalinists. It explains the openly counter-revolutionary position that they adopted in Spain, which is can can be labeled in no other in no other terms, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. So obviously, we have to skip over a lot of very interesting, inspiring, and important events for the sake of brevity, and we will return to these questions in more detail in future episodes. You could spin probably an entire series of podcast episodes after the Spanish. Revolution, and perhaps we will. But for today, can we talk about the events in May 1937 in Barcelona? Because in your article, you identify this as a major turning point that really exposed the character of some of the political tendencies that we've been talking about. So, what happened in Barcelona in May 1937? Yes, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, well, we have to set the scene. We have to talk about the the events of the previous uh, the previous months. In fact, so as I mentioned, the Spanish Civil War began in July 1936. It began as a failed coup d'état by General Franco, right? Um, Franco represented the the interests of the Spanish ruling class, the Spanish bourgeoisie, which realized in the central months of 1936 
that the bourgeois republic, that bourgeois democracy could not contain the workers' uh, movement. Uh, the elections of the Popular Front, the Popular Front was a reformist, moderate uh, government coalition, it did not threaten the interests of the ruling class. But what the, the victory of the Popular Front did was to stimulate working class struggles uh, to an unprecedented uh, degree. So uh, the months of, um, of March, April, May, June 1936 witnessed unprecedented uh, social uh, agitation in the country. This gave decisive stimulus for a, for a fascist coup d'etat led by Franco in July 1936. But this was, in fact, defeated over most of the, of the country. Uh, and it was defeated by a, by a working class uprising. So working class organizations, often fighting with improvised uh, weapons, they beat back the, the coup uh, in crucial parts of the country. Most of the big urban and industrial centers in the biggest cities, in Madrid, in Barcelona, in Valencia, Uh, in Bilbao, in Malaga, in the mining areas of Asturias, the coup was defeated. But this, of course, was not an uprising to defend the Republican legality and to defend the legitimate Republican government. Uh, but on the contrary, it was an anti-fascist uprising, but that also sought uh, to build a new world, to transform society. And this is what the workers did. Uh, they armed themselves. They formed their own militias. They scattered the bourgeois police and the bourgeois army. They took over the factories and the landed estates in the countryside. They began to reorganize the economy on a socialist uh, basis, and they formed their own uh, organs of power, local committees, barricade committees, control patrols. So what we have here, in fact, is workers' power. It's implicit in the situation. However, no major working class organization really was up to the tasks of the working class revolution in July 1936. The anarchists emerged as the key force uh, out of the fighting in July, but they refused to take power. Of course, they are anarchists, they are against uh, power. Uh, so they, in fact, decided to collaborate with the battered remnants of the Republican state, which was really a state only in name because it had no police, it had no army, it had no repressive institutions. The anarchists, however, collaborated with the state and they helped, uh, they contributed to its reconstruction. Civil war demands centralized authority and the absence of a, of a, of a new workers' regime, a new centralized working class revolutionary authority that would wage war against Franco on a, on a revolutionary basis, the absence of this power, this created a vacuum that was filled by the old Republican state. The anarchists collaborated in this process, but here the, the key battering ram of the old bourgeois republic in its process of reconstruction, of reorganization, were in fact the Stalinists. As we've said, they stood on a very moderate uh, basis And they came out as the most um, vigorous defenders of uh, bourgeois Republican law and order. And in the autumn of 1936 and the spring of 1937, they began to attack the organs of workers' power. 
they fought uh, the militias, they, they repressed the more radical sectors of the anarchist movement, of the, of the POM, the, the dissident communists of the POM. Um, they, uh, they called for the property that had been expropriated to be returned to its uh, former owners. Um, and all this really was part of uh, the Menshevik outlook of the Spanish Stalinists and of the Communist International and its uh, Stalinist uh, leadership in general. I'm going to, if you allow me, I'm going to quote the General Secretary of the Spanish Communist Party, José Díaz. Yeah, sure, go ahead. He said, there can be no question at present of a dictatorship of the proletariat or of socialism, but only of the struggle of democracy against fascism. There's a literal quote from the General Secretary of the Spanish Communist Party. Uh, but of course, workers' power and the dictatorship of the proletariat was already implicit in the situation in the summer and the autumn of 1936. So really what took place was a civil war within the civil war. Mm. Uh, a historian of the Spanish civil war, Hugh Thomas, he spoke of the war of the two counter-revolutions. Of course, the, the Francoist fascist one, which was the major one. But then also there was a counter-revolution within the anti-fascist camp. The petty bourgeois republicans, in cahoots with the, with the Stalinists, they beat back and they crushed uh, the workers' power that had been established in July 1936. Now, this civil war within the civil war, it began uh, as a series of isolated skirmishes. But tensions, tensions built up up until the events of May 1937 that you were asking about. So there was growing tension. The workers, despite the betrayals of, the, of their leaders, were not going to uh, take this uh, counter-revolution lightly. They would put up res resistance at some point, and that happened precisely on the 3rd of May of 1937. The Stalin Stalinist uh, detachments of the Barcelona police, they tried to, uh, they tried to take over the building of the, of the telephone exchange of the city. This uh, building had been taken over by, uh, by anarchist workers, not only by anarchists, also by, by socialists as well, by the CNT and the UGT unions had uh, taken over this building in July 1936 during the high tide of the revolution. And this was an important symbolic conquest of the revolution, but it also had a practical importance because it allowed workers and the trade unions to listen in to government communications. So the Stalinists saw this as a key target in, the, in their offensive against uh, workers' power. Uh, on the 3rd of May, as I said, Stalinist police showed up at the building. They tried to take it over. The workers who were there resisted uh, with, with uh, weapons in hand. And that led to an open clash. And on the following day, in fact, this was not really a, a clash as such, because the Stalinists were swept out of the city. On the 4th of May, nine-tenths of Barcelona were in the hands of the revolutionary workers. This was a spontaneous working class uprising uh, that began to spread to other cities as well. But remember that Barcelona was the most industrialized city in Spain, um, more so than, than Madrid, in fact, than, than, the, than the capital. Uh, and the workers had power in their hands in, on the 4th of May of 1937. But once again, the tragedy of the revolution lay in the absence of uh, adequate leadership. The leaders of the of the anarchist movement, 
They called on the workers to abandon the barricades, to, to lay weapons. Um, I did not mention this, but the anarchists actually joined the Republican government in November 1936. And they sent two of their anarchist ministers, Federica Monseña and García Oliver, were sent to Barcelona uh, to call on the workers uh, to, to abandon the struggle. Uh, and tragically as well, the dissident communists of the poem whose leader actually hailed from the Trotskyist uh, movement a few years early, although, although the poem, of course, had nothing to do with uh, Trotskyism. It had a very different position of collaborating with uh, Republican authorities as well. The poem indeed also called on the workers to abandon the struggle. So the workers were left uh, leaderless, and uh, gradually the insurrection fizzled out. And this was followed by severe repression. And we can, re we can really date the end of the Spanish Revolution in May 1937. The defeat of that uprising, which showed, and they underlined this, not to the weakness of the revolutionary workers, it owed to the lack of the subjective factor. This defeat, it uh, led to the end of the revolution, and from then on, the war against Franco would be waged not on a revolutionary basis, but it would be waged instead as a conventional war in the defense of uh, bourgeois republican legality and bourgeois democracy. But, uh, but the war, as we know, uh, had started off as a revolutionary struggle and uh, having adopted this distorted form, it demoralized, the republic demoralized its, uh, its base of support. The working class, the peasants uh, were increasingly demoralized and the republic began to lose ground and all this ended tragically in April 1939 with the defeat of the of the Republic and the victory of Franco. Yes, under whose jackboot the Spanish workers and peasants were to languish up until the 1970s when there was another revolution, which was also sold out by the Stalinists, but uh, that's another story. Arturo, this is a very sobering period in the history of the revolutionary workers' struggle, and... I think that you've made very clear the reasons for the defeat of the Spanish Revolution. But do you have any final thoughts about the lessons? Yes, the Spanish Revolution is uh, full of lessons for us uh, today. It is crucial for Marxists to study history not as an academic exercise, but to draw the lessons for the struggle today. The Bolsheviks, of course, had studied very carefully the lessons of the French Revolution, the Paris Commune, and the 1905 Russian Revolution, among other other movements. Um, and the Spanish Revolution for us is full of, uh, of, uh, of lessons. Now, first of all, it unmasked the, the, the big tendencies of the international workers' movement that are still active today to a, lesser, to a, to a much lesser degree, of course. But it showed the counter-revolutionary nature of Stalinism. Uh, they betrayed and attacked uh, and crushed the revolution, in fact. Uh, and it shows the cynicism of Stalin and, and his clique in, in Moscow. Um, how they, 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 they saw the workers, the international workers' movement as, a, as a, a piece in their geopolitical games, in their geopolitical uh, chessboard, right? And they were content with uh, throttling the revolution in the name of their of their pacts with uh, with the British and the French imperialists, which in the end did not even materialize, as I, as I mentioned. But it also unmasked the anarchists, uh, who still have some influence today, 
but it shows that anarchism is completely bankrupt as a revolutionary theory. Now, they did not understand the events of the 1930s. They swung from one position to the other, and they ended up capitulating to the petty bourgeois uh, Republican authorities. Um, now, the anarchists today say, well, it was a mistake to join the Republican government. Uh, but in fact, their mistakes are completely in line with anarchist uh, theory. They had refused to take power in July 1936, and this is in total harmony with their, with their principles, right? They are against power, so they refuse to take power. But they opened a vacuum that was filled by another class, so uh, by the petty bourgeois Republicans. So this shows that anarchism became a force for class collaboration, in fact. Uh, it really uh, discredits anarchism as a revolutionary theory, and I encourage all thinking anarchists to study these events uh, critically and soberly, because it shows that anarchism is not, uh, is not a, a, an adequate revolutionary theory for our movement. Um, really, the only solution to the to the, the only uh, successful solution for the struggle in Spain was to centralize workers' power to establish a new revolutionary uh, authority, a new revolutionary regime based on those workers' councils, on the militias, and so on, and to wage revolutionary war against Franco, i.e., a Bolshevik uh, position. Um, which is what uh, Trotsky uh, and, the, and the Fourth International and the International Left Opposition uh, have defended. Uh, but finally, I'd say that the main lesson of the Spanish uh, Revolution and Civil War is that uh, it is not enough uh, that the proletariat is willing to fight. Mass enthusiasm and, and mass struggle and, uh, and the radical mood among the, the workers, that's not enough. The subjective factor is also uh, crucial, right? So it is not enough that you have objectively revolutionary conditions, but you also need a leadership that is able to, uh, to provide a program, perspectives, slogans, and a path towards victory for the revolutionary movement. And that cannot be improvised in the heat of the struggle. It has to exist before the revolution breaks out. We have had no time to talk about the dissident uh, groups that emerged from the anarchist and the socialist movement, uh, but clearly it was impossible to improvise a new revolutionary leadership in the heat of events, in the heat of civil war, right? That had to exist before the outbreak of uh, revolution. And this really, this lesson, we can still see it uh, play out today in our days, right? We have seen many instances in recent years of mass struggle, of militancy, situations when, when bourgeois governments have been overthrown or have been on the verge of being overthrown, but then uh, the complete absence of uh, an adequate revolutionary leadership, right, that was able to push forward uh, the revolutionary process. And this, is, and this is what we need to do today, basically, build that leadership so when revolutionary events break out in our days, uh, the working class has uh, has uh, a program and an organization and cadres that are able to provide that necessary uh, orientation and lead the struggle to to victory. Hear, hear. And as Arturo mentioned, that's precisely the task that the international Marxist tendency sets itself to this day. Um, I wonder, Arturo, whether you want to mention briefly what we have going on in Portugal um, since. 
that's where you're active and it's not a group that we've heard from before on the show yes so the the activities of the international marxist tendency in uh, portugal are, uh, are relatively recent so we have a, a young uh, group but one that is uh, growing and that is intervening in the different um, the different struggles this is a moment of uh, of uh, mass discontent and strikes and protests in in portugal which is of course affected by the general crisis of capitalism but which is in fact a weak link in european capitalism it is the poorest country in western uh, europe and one that one that has seen uh, a lot of uh, of working class militancy and and, and the youths uh, protesting and and so on, so we've been intervening there, but we're also uh, and follow, following up on on the discussion we've had uh, critically, we're also uh, training up our Marxist cadres and, and studying theory, studying the lessons of the past, um, to to uh, yes to build up that cadre organization that that we need. So we're pretty enthusiastic. Um, and uh, and and things are are, are advancing uh, uh, quite um, quite fruitfully, uh, if you if you ask me. Um, also, by the way, Portugal is like Spain, like its uh, like its Iberian neighbor. It's also a country with a long revolutionary tradition, and perhaps next year we should devote one of these episodes to the history of the Portuguese Revolution, which will be uh, marking its fiftieth uh, anniversary, which was also a great. Uh, a great revolutionary process that is full of lessons for us uh, today. Yes, good idea. I suppose the closest thing we had on the show was that historical recording of Ted Grant talking about world perspectives around the time that the Portuguese revolution was occurring. Um, His insights about what that meant for the European revolution in general were very, very interesting. That was a really fun episode to put together. So once again, um, our group in Portugal is Colectivo Marxista, Marxist Collective. Arturo is amongst the comrades organizing in that country. And as ever, we organize throughout the world. You can find links to our nearest sections and groups via our website, along with plenty of material on the Spanish Revolution to extend some of the points that Arturo and I have been making today. Arturo, um, thanks again for joining us all the way from Lisbon. Thank you. That was International Marxist Radio. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again same time next week for more Marxist news, theory, and analysis. And if you've been inspired by what you've heard today, get in touch via our website, marxist.com, and find out more about how you can join the international Marxist tendency and fight for revolution where you are.